Please turn with me to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. We've been tracing the path of our Savior from Easter onward, His crucifixion, His resurrection, His post-resurrection appearances. Last week we considered His ascension. And this morning I'd like us to consider His coronation. His coronation. This Saturday, as you probably know, King Charles will be coronated. He became king 240 days before he'll be coronated when his mother, uh, Queen, I was going to say Elizabeth. It was Elizabeth, wasn't it? I sometimes say Queen Victoria. Queen Elizabeth, when she passed and went to glory, her son became king, but he won't be coronated until this Saturday. And there is an application, certainly, on earth of what has taken place in heaven. The Lord Jesus, of course, as the Son of God, He's the King of the universe from the very beginning, but there is a sense in which He became King by His resurrection from the dead, the King of salvation, the King of saints. And it speaks of Jesus when He ascended to heaven that He sat down on the right hand at the right hand of God. And that speaks of him being seated as the king and being coronated. And we have many scriptures that give us that coronation day of our Savior. Yet have I, we read together Psalm from Psalm 2, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And uh, many other passages, some of which I'll relate to this morning. Psalm 110 gives us that day, that coronation uh, moment, right from the very beginning. Notice it says, The Lord said unto my Lord, in that first verse, you remember Jesus uh, showed to the Pharisees and teaches us that the Messiah was more than a man. He was underestimated. Jesus was underestimated when he was here. They, remember, he asked the Pharisees after they tried to to uh, entangle him in his in, in, with questions. He said, "Now it's my turn." He said, "Whose son is the Messiah?" And remember their answer: "He's the son of David, the descendant of David." And Jesus said, "Basically, you're half right, but you're you're missing something. You're half wrong." And he, used, he quoted this text, that David did not call the Messiah, and everyone knew that Psalm 110 was messianic. David was referring to the Messiah, to the Christ. David calls the Christ, my Lord. And so Jesus says, how can he be his Lord if, if he's his son? So Jesus was teaching the Pharisees that Christ is both divine and human. He's not only David's descendant, but he's David, David's, if you will, ascendant. He is his Lord. And that's the text, the Lord, that is the Father, 
Yahweh said unto my Lord, the Messiah, this is referring to Jesus, at that day when he went into heaven at his ascension, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So that's a passage that prophesies a thousand years before the event that the Messiah would enter heaven and sit down at God's right hand. Psalm 24 indicates how he would get to heaven. He would ascend, he, and the gates would open, and the King of Glory would enter in. And here is the event when the King of Glory, Psalm 24, enters in to heaven. He is seated at God's right hand, and he's expecting his enemies to be made at his footstool. What a horrifying, terrifying thing to be made his footstool. May we bow at his footstool and yield our hearts to him. Continues, the Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. The Messiah will be strong and he'll come out of Zion. That is, he'll come out of the church, as it were. He'll come out of among the people of God. He'll come out of Israel. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so now the king is called a priest. Think about the connection there. And at the end of the verse, he's called a king again. Because it says, Thou art a priest forever after the order or the manner of Melchizedek. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. There was a person named Melchizedek way back Genesis 14. He was the priest of the Most High God. A very um, mysterious character. He's not given any pedigree. That's why he's a type of Christ who had no pedigree. He was eternal. The Lord at thy right hand, that is, speaking of Jesus, shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. So you see the dichotomy. The first part of the psalm, the king saves. The second part of the psalm, the king destroys. And so you have the dual ministry of the king of glory. He will save sinners, but he will bring under his heel those who refuse to believe. Verse 7, will he be tired after it's all over? Will he be fatigued? Will his battle for for sinners to be saved and, and his enemies to be destroyed, will that exhaust him? Notice the illustration. He shall drink of the brook in the way, Therefore shall he lift up the head. That probably brings back memories of Gideon and his army. Remember, the ones that lapped the water and kept their eyes forward were the ones that were chosen to to, uh, be warriors. This is speaking of Jesus just taking a drink. His eyes continue on the battle 
as he chases his enemies until they're forever rooted. So we see this psalm speaking of our, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that Jesus is entered into heaven by his ascension and that he sat down. Hebrews 10 says the priests were always standing. They had, there was no chair in the, in, the, in the first room. There wasn't even a chair for them that we can tell even in the courtyard. They were always moving. In other words, their work was never finished. You know, you think of someone when they, when they finish a job, they sit down and maybe enjoy it. Just the, They sit down now and relax and revel in what they've done. And that's the point that Jesus said, it is finished when He was hanging on the cross. And, and He died for our sins. And He was buried and He rose from the dead. And He was 40 days being seen. Infallible proofs that He was risen. But when He went to heaven, the Bible says He sat down. He is not always standing as if His work is incomplete. The Romanists teach, certainly by inference, that His work isn't complete. They still need to perform the Mass. Re-crucify Christ. He died once for all. And He sat down showing that His work was absolutely finished. The atonement of sins. But from His throne, He's saving sinners. And He's uh, protecting His people. And He is destroying those who dare to confront Him. And so... When you think about Charles, it's called a constitutional or a parliamentary um, monarchy. Even though he's called the head of state, he has no power. He doesn't legislate. He doesn't, he doesn't create laws. It's more of an image. Although in some monarchies in the world, there are fewer and fewer, they do, they do enact laws and often just arbitrarily, soul-handedly. But even our president, in a sense, it's a, it's a constitutional democracy in the sense that uh, he doesn't enact laws. He shouldn't, though he has. We have the Congress. We have, he's, he's the executive. We have the legislative, the congressman, Senators, and we have the judicial. The, the, uh, the, the president is not supposed to make laws or judge. He is the executive. Jesus is the executive, the legislative, the judicial. He's everything. His is not a constitutional monarchy. That is, a constitutional monarchy is that Others uh, make decisions as well as perhaps the leader. But Jesus is alone in making decisions. He doesn't ask us what our thoughts are about whether we should lie or steal or keep the Sabbath holy. He has made those laws without our permission or without our uh, counsel. He alone makes decisions. He legislates. 
It's in His hands and not in the hands of others. He is the King. And that's our thought this morning. We have a King. And it's not easy for us to think about monarchy because we're living in a republic. But the church is a monarchy. And in a real sense, He rules over the world. The world is a monarchy of Christ. He is the King of the universe, though we cannot see it. But I believe I I can certainly give evidences of it. So what we see in Psalm 110 is that a thousand years before the coming of Christ, it was prophesied. It was therefore no surprise that he was called the King of the Jews. You remember early in his ministry and late in his ministry, he was called the King of the Jews. Who called him King early? You remember was it not Nathaniel? This is thou art, thou art the, the, the Messiah. Thou art the King of Israel. And and who was forced to, to call him the King? At the end of his ministry, a, 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 a heathen, a Gentile leader. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Pilate himself. So Psalm 2 is a thousand years roughly before Christ. Peter quotes from Psalm 2 recorded in Acts 4.25 Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion as he's preaching at Pentecost. He's saying he is Lord and Christ. Even before David, 1,800 years before Christ, Jacob in Genesis 49 said, A scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Speaking of Christ as the king. In Numbers, 1,300 years before, Balaam was forced to say, A scepter shall arise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab. Isaiah preached that of his government and his kingdom there shall be no end order it and to establish it. Zechariah said, Thy king cometh unto thee, meek and, and lowly, riding upon a colt. And they quoted that, you remember when Jesus was brought into Jerusalem on um, the, uh, the feast day. What do they call that? The, the, uh, the week before His crucifixion. His his Palm Sunday, Jesus came into Jerusalem fulfilling that prophecy. So we see how important these things are that the Bible would give us 1,800 years, 1,000 years beforehand, the birth of the Messiah, the life of the Messiah, what He would do, what He might say, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension. And now what we're considering is it's called his session, that he's seated in session as he's ruling over the church and over the world. And beyond that, we also are like the Old Testament prophets. We have some prophecies that we're looking ahead to, that we're inquiring about, that we're, uh, that we're intrigued about. The Bible prophesies that Jesus is coming again that the gates will open up and He'll exit and He'll return. 
with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And you and I are like the, the prophets. I wonder when that's going to happen and, and what's going to happen and what does all this mean? And we're saying the same thing as we read these passages of Jesus prophesying his return and Paul and Peter and in the book of Revelation. And then the judgment day where everyone will stand before God and heaven and hell. These are all future prophecies that we can be sure are going to be fulfilled because all the other prophecies have been consistently fulfilled. None of the prophecies that should have been fulfilled by now have not been fulfilled. Every one of them, his, his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, They've all taken place. And His session, His coronation, being seated at God's right hand. Isn't it a thrilling thought? You know, it's invisible to us. And we don't live in that experience as we should. But think about it. There is a, our King is in heaven, seated on His throne. And He's ruling. And let the heathen, let the heathen mock but I can give you some evidences and we can certainly understand that this is infallible proof that Jesus is ruling. He's not a puppet king. He's not a constitutional monarch. He is king of kings and lord of lords. We see the fulfillment of His reign. Not just the prophecy of it. The day came when He did sit down the day came when the Father said unto the Son when He entered heaven, Sit thou at My right hand. And the saints got to see it. The saints got to see it. And was it... I don't think that the thief on the cross was too late. I don't know how fast it happened. But the thief wasn't long to die and enter heaven after Jesus. You know, his soul, Jesus' soul went to heaven. His body remained in the grave for those hours between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning. I'm sorry, I'm confusing his resurrection. His soul going into heaven and his body going into heaven 40 days later after his resurrection. Yes, the thief was there. Was there when Jesus entered heaven at his ascension and coronation. What a privilege he had. And think of all the saints that got to see it. We haven't seen him literally sitting upon his throne yet. But that will be, I believe, our first sight. Our first sight. We'll see Jesus enthroned. It was fulfilled. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, he sat down, principalities and powers being made subject to him. Psalm 24, the King of glory shall come in. Notice, He's already the King. Now He'll be crowned. He'll wear the diadem. He's called the Lord at thy right hand that we read together in Psalm 110. Jesus is in heaven. We're told the Father saying, until thine enemies be made thy footstool. It's not that Jesus is passive. But that's his ministry, that's part of his reign, that he is subduing his enemies. He's also subduing us in salvation. But he is, as Psalm 76 says, the wrath of man shall praise him, and the remainder of wrath shall be restrained. 
So his enemies, as they, as they uh, attack, as they, as they antagonize his, his kingdom, it will either cause him to be praised in that he will, he will destroy his enemy, or if there seems to be a little bit lo- larger amount of wrath of the enemy, he'll restrain it. He'll make sure it goes thus far and no more. Remember what he said about Job, for instance? You can, you can give him sickness, but you must not take his life. The remainder of wrath he restrained. He causes even the wrath of man to praise him. And did it not praise God that when Job emerged, he was a better man? And he was a man that was able to praise God and set an example for us in times of sickness and trial. And so we find the fulfillment of his reign. Thirdly, the subjects of his reign. In this psalm, the Bible gives us two subjects. Thine enemies and thy people. And that's it. There's just two kinds of people in this world. There's not three. There's not actively for, actively against, and just passively neither for or against. How often you hear people say, I'm not religious. I'm not for him, but I'm not against him. What did Jesus say? He that is not against me is for me. And the reverse is true. He that is not for me is against me. And so you have two groups of people. Either you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Either you're saved or you're not saved. Either you're forgiven or you're unforgiven. Just two groups of people. And it says here, Thine enemies... Verses 1 and verse 2. And thy people, verse 3. It's e- you're either an enemy of Christ or you're one of His people. Where do you stand today? What group are you in? The Bible teaches that th- His people are those that are born again. Notice, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Those who have been made willing by his almighty power, submitting to his leadership, repenting of sins, and becoming a child of God. That's what it's saying. Thy people shall be willing. Willing to to do what? Willing to submit to his kingship. Bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus in salvation. When it, when a person is born of the Spirit, it's the day of God's power in his life. All of us who are born of the Spirit of God, there's a day in which God executed His saving power in our lives, turning us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. And the Lord's rule over His people and over His enemies is absolute. All souls, none are... none are exempt. None can say that I am not a subject of the king. You see the nature of his reign. It's a holy reign. The beauties of holiness. He saves sinners and separates us from the world. Is holiness beautiful to you and me? Separation from the world. Holiness. Life of purity. 
Do you hate sin? The Bible says of the Messiah, he hated iniquity and loved righteousness. That characterizes his reign. When he saves a soul, he saves us unto holiness. Sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. From the womb of the morning, what does that mean? Perhaps it's describing, again, the new birth. Like a woman having a, a child almost surprisingly, quickly, the womb of the morning. His, his salvation comes so swiftly and so um, refreshingly. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. How the dew comes down and is there in the morning to refresh the ground and to refresh the air. And so when the Lord works, He works mightily. He works and He causes one to be born again from the womb of the morning and having the dew of His youth. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? To see a soul saved. To hear about people being converted to Christ. To see how they're like the dew of the morning. Freshness of of gratitude, freshness of belief. Oh, that the Lord would save souls, cause people to be born again, and to be like the dew of, of youth. The Lord Jesus loves to say this salvation is has the nature of being holy, of being fresh, of being righteous. He's Melchizedek, he's the king of righteousness. He causes sinners who are unrighteous in their moral behavior, He causes sinners to be obedient to His Word, to do right, speaking perhaps of the moral righteousness of His kingdom. But you see why verse 4 is there. What kind of reign does Christ have? The reign of a king-priest. His reign is one of salvation. He reigns over His people by the death of the cross, by His atonement over sins. The Father has sworn and will not repent. He's not going to change His mind. That His King is a king-priest. One who's come. What is a priest? A priest offers sacrifice for sins. Jesus could not have had two groups of people if He didn't die for our sins. The only group that would exist today would be thine enemies if he didn't become a priest and die for our sins. And it seems out of order. The whole psalm is a kingly song about Christ. But you see, right in the middle, you have a verse about him being priest. What is that doing there? The front and the back part, the the beginning and the ending is about him being the king. But the very middle is him being the king-priest. It's because it's saying that he wins his people by his sacrifice. And the sacrifice is not of an animal, but it's his own blood. So Jesus is the priest that offers. He's the sacrifice that is offered. Jesus is everything. He's the priest. He's the sacrifice. And the Father swore that Jesus would be a priest for us. He would save His people from our sins. Just like Melchizedek Melchizedek was a king-priest way back in Abraham's day, 
He was a priest of the Most High God. In other words, he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a Hebrew. But he was perhaps representative of the Hebrew or the non-Hebrew nations that would be converted. But he was certainly a type of Christ in that he had no pedigree. And Jesus has no pedigree. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. So we have the nature of His reign. It's a reign of holiness, a reign of, of freshness, of the dew of His youth, a reign of righteousness, and might we call it a godly reign. He slew our sins so that we, we could become His people. The extent of His reign is indicated as well in the psalm. Thine enemies, verses 1 and 2, the kings of the earth, verse 5, the heathen or the, all the nations. The word heathen means nations, verse 6. And then the heads over many countries. That includes everyone. All his enemies. And he goes right to the top. The kings and the heads over many countries. And all nations shall come and worship before him, we're told. Psalm 2, we read... Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. The earth is the Lord's, Psalm 24. What did Jesus say when just before He ascended or just before He went to heaven? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You see that there was that tension between the fact he was always king, but he became king. All power has been given unto me. He had it already as the Son of God. But in order to save sinners, he had to be to, to gain his power, to earn his authority over heaven and earth, to be the Savior and the judge of souls. Now the tension seems to exist where people say, give us evidence you Christians tell us that the Bible prophesied that Jesus would be king and reign. That it was fulfilled that He sat down. You tell us about the nature of His reign. You tell us about the extent of it. But give us some evidence of it. You see, President Biden's ruling in America and look at the wickedness of our presidency. Look at the wickedness of all the leaders. They seem to be doing what they want to do. And they, and they scoff when you tell them that they're going to give account to Jesus Christ one day. So how do we answer them? Are there any evidences that Jesus is the King? Well, let me give you the first evidence. He gave us a sampling of His reign when He was on the earth. Before He ascended to heaven. His earthly reign on the earth. Art thou a king? He was asked. And I believe that Pilate asked it sarcastically. You're a king? You've got a crown of thorns on your head? You're hardly recognizable? Are you really a king? You know how poised he was? He said, my kingdom's not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight. And then he might have asked, your servants? Only if Jesus at that point could open heaven and said, Servants? You say servants? The angels from heaven, myriads of angels could have come and destroyed that whole place. 
Nathaniel said, Thou art the Son of God, Thou art the King of Israel. Pilate would have to say, You're King of the Jews. His wife said, I can't sleep because of that man. He's troubled my sleep. He must be different. He had power over creation, didn't he? He turned the water into wine. He walked on the water. He changed the weather. He commanded fish. He restrained a rooster. Told it what to do. He healed the blind. Jesus, while He was on the earth, was king over souls. He knew that Nathaniel was sitting under a certain tree. He had such power that He could turn sinners into saints. Like Nicodemus. Not just the down-and-outers, but the up-and-outers. The centurion at the cross. So hardened by crucifixion after crucifixion, he saw the poise and the holiness of this criminal that was different from all the others. Truly, this was the Son of God. Isn't that not evidence of his kingship? He doesn't just save Religious people, he saves irreligious people. He saves down and outers and up and outers. He saved a, a murderous criminal who had been casting slander into his teeth, the Bible says, just a few moments before. And finally his heart was melted. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Your kingdom? Hey man, the, the man on the center cross... It's not recognizable. He has a crown of thorns. He's going to die soon. He has a kingdom. Is that not saving faith? Did he not see the kingdom is from above? Christ's kingdom while He was on the earth. His kingship is evidenced. But let me just give you some evidences that Christ's earthly reign is, is taking place from heaven now. Art thou a king? Really? The USA and, the, and China, Russia, wars, corruption, murder, lasciviousness, hatred, and persecution. He's, he's reigning from heaven? Where are the previous superpowers? Where are they? We read about Egypt. Where are they now? We read about the, the Philistines. We read about all those nations in Canaan. We read about the Ottoman Empire. We read about Hitler's Germany and Mussolini's Italy. Where are they now? They were temporary. But how old is the kingdom of Christ? Ever since Adam got saved. It's 6,000 years old. You think America is going to last for 6,000 years? 6,000 years old is the kingdom of Christ. He reigns. Think about the previous face-offs with kings. The Genesis 14 confederacy. Abraham had just a few hundred servants and he wiped out a confederacy of kings. Think of the plagues in, in Egypt that just wiped out the land. And Pharaoh was drowned in the Red Sea. Think about Darius, who walked over and heard a man talking 
in the midst of lions. The Caesars, where are they? The kings in Canaan. Nebuchadnezzar was dropped on his knees and, and ate grass like, a, like an ox for seven years. And he got up and said, There's none like unto the Lord, the God of heaven. Herod was eaten of worms when he glorified himself. What happened to Herohita? Where is he? He had to step on a ship. He had to declare defeat. Where's Hitler? What a coward. Take his life in the bunker before the Russians arrested him. Stalin. Let me ask us, where are the U.S. presidents? I hope some of them were saved. Where are they? Giving account to God somewhere. God's heaven or God's hell. Every single one of them up to the few that are left. I hope Mr. Carter's ready. It's soon. But not only the previous face-offs, what about the salvation of kings and queens? He saved David. He saved Esther. He saved Nebuchadnezzar. He saved Saul, an arch-enemy of Christ's kingdom. Who would have ever thought that Saul of Tarsus would get saved? They were shocked when he was saying, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Think of fickleness of people. Now they wanted to kill him. He saved you and me, brother and sister. We were vicious sinners. We were unbelieving. We were self-centered. And oh, how we still battle, don't we, with our sins of pride and self-centeredness and unbelief. But He's our King and He can subdue us. Another evidence of Christ, He's got the vantage point over all the kings of the earth. He sees what Kim Jong-un is doing. He sees what, what Jinping is doing. He sees it all. He's got the vantage point. And if he wants to, he can just snuff out a life. It's appointed him and wants to die. And after that, the judgment. He is ruling from heaven. We know that because Stephen looked up and saw him. Paul heard a voice from heaven. Oh, there are many evidences that Christ reigns. Not least of which, the Scripture says so. I believe God's Word. It says so. He reigns. Rule thou, it says. Rule thou. The goal of His reign is total subjugation until His enemies be made His footstool. Well, not all of them are subjugated, but every knee will be subjugated. Every soul will confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Total subjugation. The day of His wrath. Notice the six shells. He shall strike through kings. Man, that's terrifying. That's the language of a spear, isn't it? You can't survive with a spear through you. He shall judge among the heathen. God shall judge the earth by that man that he hath 
raised Him from the dead. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. That's, that's the language. The word fill means scatter. All over the place. I saw a picture of Jim Jones and after 900 people took that poisonous Kool-Aid, they were scattered all over Jonestown. Shall wound the heads over many countries. Oh, you see how Christ's judgment will be thorough and effective. This is scary, and it ought to be. The Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and Him that sat upon it, and from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. It's meant to be scary. You don't want to die on the wrong side. You want to believe on Christ. Subdue. What does it say in Psalm 2? Uh, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish from the way. When His wrath is kindled, but a little. All it takes is a little wrath. The wrath of the Lamb. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. And what's the rest of it? Be, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. He goes to the height, not to the depth. Oh man, you've got to read the Bible. You've got to listen to God's Word. You've got to see there's a kingdom that's invisible and it's real. And you're going to give account to it. You're going to be involved in it sooner or later. So they flex their muscles for 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years. Then what? That's the question. Then what? Jesus' death was a miracle. He had to give up the ghost. He had no sin to cause death in him. They couldn't kill him. Oh, they were responsible for killing him, for murdering him. But he had to say, into thy hands I commit my spirit could have called 10,000 angels. He could have just spoken the spikes out and healed his body. But he died miraculously. He died sovereignly because you and I would never have been saved unless the King of Glory died for us. He could say like Joseph, it wasn't you at the end of the day. It was God to preserve life sent me to the cross. But we're responsible for it. doesn't fatigue Jesus to save or to destroy. I love the descriptions, don't you, of Jesus. That he'll drink of the brook in the way, therefore we lift up the head. The picture is the, is the, 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 the warrior is chasing the enemy and he just needs a little drink. And he stops for a moment, his eyes still on the, the enemy's fleeing, and he's still pursuing. What, is, what does it say of, of, of Gideon? Faint yet pursuing. But what does it say of Jesus? Faintless and pursuing. That's the point of that, of that text. That Jesus has his eye, he's going to rout his enemies until they're all vanquished, extinguished. He'll either save or He'll destroy. You're on one or the other part, one or the other place. What a text. What a passage of the kingship of Christ. Oh, let it sink in. We have a king that's a king of saints, but he's a king 
of the universe. Jesus will cause every soul to come before Him one day. Jesus has His head lifted high. Oh, be willing in this day of His power. If you're not saved, may this be the day He exercises His saving power. Let none of us be deceived. Let's not pretend that we're saved. Let's make sure that we're saved. Are you Christ's servant? Are you Christ's saint? It's not just an outward profession. It's an inward work of God to save a sinner. Bowing the knee. A Christian is one who says, what wilt thou have me to do? Not let me have my own will. What wilt thou? Are you, are you willing in this day of His power? Or are you doing your will? Jesus is the King of my life. To oppose Him is suicide of soul. To ignore Him is only to delay your discovery of what you really are. To underestimate Him is to temporarily hide His glory to equate Him with others is to insult Him beyond measure. But one day reckon we must. Remember that song that we sing so true. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will He do with me? The King will not be slighted, denied, or disobeyed for long. One day He's going to descend from heaven with a shout voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And that shout is the shout of the king that Balaam was forced to prophesy in numbers. Jesus is my Lord. Is He your Lord? He's the king of saints. And may I say, He's the king of sinners. He's the king over saints and He's the king over sinners. His reign is Without compare, He needs no counselors. He needs no help. He rules. He rules. He rules. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus, how I underestimate Your power and Your glory, Your kingship. Lord, rule over us. Please break every nerve of independence and willfulness. Please, Lord, visit us. Revive us. Help us to live in light of Your glory. Live in light of Your sovereignty. But we cannot see You, Lord. We believe in You. We love You. We rejoice in You. We know it's true. Heaven is a a place of great reverence and joy. There's no doubt in anyone's mind who's the king. Kings and queens have bowed to Thee. Lord, we bow to Thee. Oh, may others bow to Thee. Cause sinners to bow the knee today. Frustrate the devil. Disappoint him, Lord. Empty his kingdom. Make it fewer this day. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name.